Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. A very good afternoon to you. Wonderful to be in your company this afternoon. It is Wednesday. It is just gone 10 past 2. And it is, of course, Judaism 101.9. This is Rabbi Michael Katz coming to you live, but on Skype from Johannesburg. And great uh, time we're having here getting ready for Hanukkah and thinking of those preparations and uh, the wonderful time of the year where uh, the schools are about to close and people are about to go away on a very, very well-earned rest after a really, really taxing and difficult year um, to take a break. But there is so much that is going to happen between now and then, particularly with the Chag of Hanukkah that is coming up starting on Sunday evening. But I'd like to address things perhaps today, starting from a slightly different viewpoint. Last week we spoke about some of the technicalities of Hanukkah and some of the philosophy behind why it is that we celebrate the way that we do. But perhaps today to start with something, an event or a happening or something special about this great day. Today is the 20th day in the month of Kislev. Yes, Hanukkah begins on the 25th of Kislev. There's a hint at it in the name Hanukkah, in that it is Hanu Chafhei, that they rested or they camped. The Maccabees, having triumphed over the Assyrian Greeks, were able to take that well-earned break on Chafhei, on the 25th day of Kislev. Chanu, Chafei, they rested on the 25th, or they camped on the 25th, and so there is the name of Chanukah, or the date of Chanukah rather, embedded in the name. But the 20th of Kislev is perhaps a lesser known date. Now if we take a look at the logo, which I'm looking at on my screen right now, uh, of uh, uh, 101.9 High FM, there is a number 19 in it, 101.9, 19. 19th of Kislev is a well-known date. That was yesterday. The 19th of Kislev, Yutet Kislev, is known as the Rosh Hashanah of Hasidim or of Hasidus. It is the day on which the Alter Rebbe, Rebbe Shnir Zaman of Liadi, was released from in- imprisonment. It began from then on until today, a, uh, um, uh, events that are held on this special day, the 19th of Kislev, um, celebrating that Chag Hagiula, a day of great redemption. But the 20th of Kislev actually became a part of that 19th of Kislev celebration in that the Alter Rebbe actually wasn't released until it already had become the 20th. So while he was destined to be released and while the release papers came and he was going to be let out of jail, the actual uh, walking out of imprisonment happened on the 20th of Kislev. And so Hasidim celebrate the 19th and the 20th as these days of Geula, as these days of redemption. But something perhaps um, hugely significant, I'm not going to say more significant, but something hugely significant for all of us happened on that particular day, on the 20th of Kislev, as we commemorate the Alter Rebbe walking out of prison, and that was on uh, in, in 1796, in 1796, the uh, release of the first edition of what is known as Tanya, 
the Sefer Shel Benonim, the book of the intermediaries, um, in 1796 was actually published on Chav Kislev, on the 20th of Kislev. Now this first printing of this so-called Bible of Hasidism, the Tanya, the magnum opus of Ramashnir Zalman of Liadi, the founder of Chabad, actually came to fruition on Chav Kislev, on the 20th of Kislev, in 1796. Now it kind of led Hasidim to a very, very beautiful image which I would like to use today because it is so appropriate in the build-up to Hanukkah. And that is that there was a, a, a likeness drawn between the story of Hanukkah and the story of the Alter Rebbe's release, which happened, of course, just a few days before Hanukkah. And that was what they said that happened was that once you take olives and you squeeze them, you get, and you do it properly, you know what you're doing, you get proper, beautiful olive oil. And in fact, this image was used as a metaphor for what actually happened with the Alter Rebbe's release from imprisonment. When he was released from imprisonment, what came out of it was the Shemen Zayid Zach, this beautiful, pristine, wonderful olive oil of the book of Tanya. Tanya being the first word of the book. Tanya meaning that we have learned in a Braisa, it means it's a Talmudic word. But the word Tanya is the name that is given to this work, and it was the Sefer Shel Benunim, or really the manual for our souls that was put together from collected works and writings of the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shneer Zaman of Liadi, who himself put them down, put them together, and those chapters are really a true and inspiring manual for the soul. Now, this was all released. It came to fruition after the Alter Rebbe's difficult incarceration, after his difficult imprisonment. Now, I thought for today to just share with you, as uh, perhaps you may know, that I happen to be a prison chaplain, or as I like to tell people, I've seen the inside of many, many prisons. Unfortunately, or fortunately, for me rather, um, the uh, inside of the prisons that I've seen has not been uh, great at all because prison life is something that is absolutely horrific and terrible, particularly, unfortunately, in this country, sad to say, we don't have the best and most wonderful prisons and many people feel and believe, you know, so what? Let people who have done wrong, let them suffer. But this certainly was not the view of our great sages and it may interest you to note that one of the reasons why we dare not adopt such an attitude aside for the fact that our uh, great leader, Nelson Mandela, has apparently said, and it's uh, up in uh, engraved in the walls of uh, the con- Constitutional Court, I understand, where it says that a country will be judged or is judged by the way it treats its prisoners. Now, when you have been inside a prison, when you've, God forbid, had to do time, so to speak, inside a prison, when you've been there, um, uh, for a while, you realize that um, uh, you have a very, very different view of what a prison is about. And visiting prisoners, well, if we think about it, and we go back in our history as a Jewish people, so many of our great leaders, and it may surprise you to know that so many of our great leadership, going all the way back to Avram Avinu, to Abraham, saw the inside of prisons. They were incarcerated. They, their rights and their privileges 
and their ability to live was taken away from them for a period of time. And so therefore we as Jews have to and need to have a very, very different view to how we view those who are in prison, how we view those who come out of prison, and how we um, work on making sure that we get the olive oil rather than the crushed olives, so to speak. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So we're talking about Chof Kislev, the 20th of Kislev, which is today, and thinking about what it commemorates, what it celebrates. It celebrates the Gula, the redemption of the Alter Rebbe, Rebbe Shniazaman of Liadi, from being imprisoned in a Tsarist prison. Um, and all those years ago then, coming out like similar to that crushed olive where one um, has been crushed, battered uh, physically, but produces the most glorious and most beautiful olive oil. And, of course, an image playing forward to the Chag of Hanukkah, the festival of Hanukkah, which is coming up on this coming Sunday evening. But let's pause for a moment and think about our view of imprisonment. And imprisonment, certainly, from a Jewish perspective, from a Jewish point of view, where people in our history were imprisoned for their convictions, were imprisoned not because they were convicted of crimes, but because they were convinced uh, that what they were doing was right and correct, and it didn't necessarily fit in with the environment. It didn't necessarily fit in with uh, the powers that be, the regime of the time, etc. And if we go all the way back in the Torah to our father, Avram Avinu, Abraham, did you know that Abraham, Avram Avinu, according to the Gemara, Baba Basra, it tells us that Avram was actually imprisoned for 10 years. And the 10-year imprisonment was, when we think about Avram Avinu, we know him as the first one to go out and teach the uh, attitude of monotheism, um, the idea that there was only one God, and he also was the first one that we know of to, who was imprisoned for believing and spreading the idea. We know about Avram Avinu being thrown into the fiery furnace of Ur-Kazdim, but as the Gemara tells us, he was imprisoned actually um, right before that incident, before the fiery furnace. He was imprisoned for 10 years, and after that incident, he managed to get out and spread Judaism everywhere. And so we see once again this similar notion, the similar idea, the imprisonment being a confinement, a pressure, Yes, terrible, terrible circumstances, but leading eventually to Avram Avinu with that ability to spread his monotheism, his Judaism, wherever he went. We also know the story of Yosef, Joseph. And this one, of course, is going to be read in the Parsha of uh, this coming week and then the Parshas uh, right now leading up to the end of the book of Bereshis in the next few weeks' time, we read about Yosef HaTzadik, we read about Joseph. And we all know the story about Joseph being sold by his brothers. He becomes the viceroy of, uh, first of all, of the household of Potiphar and eventually Egypt and um, so on. And we also know that there was an incident where he was thrown into jail and the jail wasn't um, for anything else but trumped up charges that were brought against him by Potiphar's wife who uh, accused him of having to do exactly what she was doing um, trying to 
uh, get busy, so to speak, with Yosef, um, with Joseph, who was um, then in charge of the household. When he refused her advances, she became angry. She falsely accused him, and he was summarily thrown into jail. And he remained there until, of course, the interpretation of the dreams of Pharaoh. And once Pharaoh's dreams were interpreted so brilliantly and beautifully by Yosef Atzadik, by Joseph, he came out of prison. And became the viceroy and became the one who literally saved the entire world. Because if we think about it at the time, the whole known world was struck by this terrible famine to the extent that even Yaakov Avinu um, had to send his sons, Jacob had to send his sons down from Israel to go to Egypt to collect their um, uh, rations that they could all survive and that they could all live. And eventually Yosef Joseph brings the Jewish people or the existing Jewish people at the time, his brothers and their families down to Egypt where they settled in the land of Goshen. And it became such a relevant and important part of Jewish history. But once again, the imprisonment, the confinement leading to and becoming the forerunner of great and wonderful things. Now, did you know that Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, was actually also imprisoned. Yes, if we take a look at the Targum, which is uh, the ancient Aramaic translation of the Torah, and this here, according to Targum Yonason, the Targum Yonason relates that when Yitro, Yitro, who became Moshe's father-in-law, but remember, he was an escapee from the house of Pharaoh as well, and he had gone to Midian, and there he was living as a high priest um, in all sorts of Midianic um, um, uh, idol worship and so on when he uh, heard that Moshe came from Egypt, from Mitzrayim we're told, he threw him into an uh, imprisonment, into a pit and there he remained imprisoned, strangely enough also, for ten years a ten year imprisonment now it was Tzipora, Yisro's daughter according to this story um, and Moshe's future wife who secretly brought him food throughout the duration of that imprisonment. So she snuck away and managed to help Moshe Rabbeinu in prison. This is where that whole, um, uh, call it romance, but that involvement of Moshe with Sipora actually began. And upon his release, um, he saw the rod with which he would eventually perform the Nisim, the miracles. It had been stuck in the ground and actually no one, Besides Moshe Rabbeinu was able to retrieve it. And it was when Yisro saw this that he gave Tzipora to Moshe as his wife. Now it's a fascinating and beautiful story. But once again, confinement and imprisonment, which eventually led to the greatest of all, never mind greatest and most daring of escapes, but the greatest and most important part of all of Judaism, our Yitziat Mitzrayim, which stood as the prototype for all gulas, for all redemptions. And so we see this theme developing here, where we talk about um, great and um, exemplary figures in our history. Avram Avinu, we see Yosef Atzadik, we see Moshe Rabbeinu. They were all imprisoned and eventually on their redemption, on their release from those prisons, they became not only the greatest contributors to society, but in fact, it was upon them that so much of Jewish thinking, of Jewish belief, of Jewish way of life is actually factually based. There were several other great uh, people, not necessarily always with the same fate 
who were imprisoned in Jewish history. We're not going to go through all of them, but we need to remember that actually people of the caliber of Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah, who was a prophet, who lived in the time of the first base Amigdash, and he prophesied about the impending destruction of Yerushalayim, and the king at the time, Tzidkiyahu, um, had him imprisoned. He threw Yirmiyahu into imprisonment, an imprisonment that lasted for two and a half years. Until actually Jerusalem was conquered, and he was strangely enough freed by the Babylonians. The uh, Babylonians overthrowing Yerushalayim freed Yirmiyahu. Um, King Tzidkiyahu was captured by Nebuchadnezzar when he attempted to escape with some of his followers. He was taken to Ribla, where he was made to witness his son's execution and then had his own eyes put out. He was then taken as a captive to Babylon, where he died as a prisoner. But Yirmiyahu survived. Yirmiyahu came out of that imprisonment after those two and a half years. And, of course, his great prophecies stand as a testament to the way that we as Jews believe and think and should live our lives. We know that, unfortunately, a story that didn't end that well was the story about Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva was, in fact, um, after the destruction of the second Beis Hamikdash, the Romans had decreed that Jews were not allowed to teach Torah. Of course, Rabbi Akiva carried on teaching Torah, and he was eventually arrested and imprisoned for his crimes. But he continued to teach from there and observed mitzvahs and did, uh, made many, many halachic findings and many, many um, of his great teachings came out of those times when he was imprisoned. Unfortunately, tragically, he was eventually barbarically executed. We read about that on Yom Kippur. But thanks to his perseverance, the Torah traditions that stretch all the way back to Mount Sinai were preserved until this very day for us to be able to learn from to teach from, and so on. There's a famous rabbi called Rabbeinu Gershom. Now, there are many things that we know about Rabbeinu Gershom. He enacted many religious bands. They're known as Cherems uh, or Charamim Cherem, meaning a ban. And one of the most famous is his ban against polygamy. Yes, Rabbeinu Gershom didn't want people to be polygamous. He didn't want people anymore to have more than one wife. And in fact, we observe that up until today. Now, Rabbeinu Gershom lived from 960 to 1040 um, of the uh, common era. So we're talking about a thousand years ago. He was known as the Me'or Hagola, the light of the exile. He was the first great sage and leader of Ashkenazi Jewry. And he found himself in Constantinople. Um, of course, we know that so many of the uh, beautiful historic stories of the Jewish people come out of that realm and that place and that time. And um, But this one is absolutely fascinating. He was married, according to our understanding of his life, he was married, but his wife was unable to have children, and his wife persuaded him to take a second wife. Um, but in fact... His second wife caused him certain problems because he was framed, imprisoned for stealing from the royal treasury, treasury and partly due to the actions of this second wife. But with the help of his first wife, or his wife, he managed to escape and move to Mayence. And he is famous for these great bans, particularly once again, one against polygamy. So we can understand why it was. Second wife caused all sorts of problems, and perhaps from a very, very personal point of view, he decided to make it a Xera, a decree, that there should be uh, no polygamy, no um, more than one wife kind of behavior amongst the Jewish people. And in fact, Ashkenazim have, of course, since Rabbeinu Gershom, kept that as this man, as this cherem, 
and that there is in fact this ban, Xera of Rabbeinu Gershom, that we do not marry more than one wife. But once again, the bans are well known. His teachings continued and flourished, but for a while he spent time in prison. And then, of course, we fast forward to the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Zaman of Liadi, who was the first Chabad Rebbe from 1745 until 1812, was uh, his lifetime. He was known as the Alter Rebbe, was the leader of the Hasidic movement in Lithuania and White Russia, and, in fact, it was the place, of course, where there was a tremendous amount of uh, um, opposition to Hasidism at the time. And he drew a lot of ire and jealousy. And in 1798, he was arrested by the Taurus government and accused of treason. Um, but, of course, there were libelous accusations made by his opponents. And the trump Tump charges included attempting to become king over the Jews, as well as sending um, funds to the Hasidic community in the Holy Land. He sent funds to try and help and support poor people in Israel. And they, in fact, looked at it as him sending funds to the Turks, who were then the rulers over Israel, um, and they were enemies of Russia. And eventually, the fallacy of these accusations came to light. He was released from prison 53 days after it began, on the 19th of Kislev. And, of course, we know that today, the 20th, is part of that great celebration, part of the celebration of the 19th and 20th of Kislev. And once again, thinking about the idea of the crushing of the olive and the great and wondrous and beautiful oil that is released there by the image of the Alter Rebbe being released. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi and welcome back. Yes, we have been talking about the 20th of Kislev, but perhaps let's fast forward a little bit and think about the upcoming Chag of Hanukkah. Of course, by now you should be collecting, getting together all your things ready for Hanukkah, your menorahs, your olive oil or your candles, uh, whatever it is that you're going to light. Because remember, Sunday evening come nightfall, we need to start lighting the menorah. And of course, on the first night we light one candle on the second night we light two and so we increase going all the way through until we have a full menorah eight days later that will be the following Sunday so that Sunday the 5th of December will be the last night of Hanukkah and when we light that menorah the menorah will be completely lit all eight candles plus the shamas now if we take a look at our menorah if we're standing in front of it and we're looking at it we begin lighting the candle to the extreme right. That is our first one if you're standing in front of the menorah and looking at it. And that is the way that the menorah should be lit. The first candle is on the extreme right. The first one is lit. On the second night, we light the second one first. So we then place the candles in the menorah. We put in number two, number one. We light them number two and number one. And uh, so we keep on going until on the last night we start then um, with the candle on the extreme left and go all the way across until candle number one is lit again each night, rekindling, lighting them and making sure that they burn into the night. Now, this is important, of course, that the flame should burn, the candles should burn for at least half an hour, some say up to 40 or 50 minutes. And uh, therefore, it is better if you use larger candles. And this is particularly pertinent when it comes to Shabbos. But we can talk about that next week on Shabbat. We need to make sure that the candles burn into the night. And being that we bring in Shabbos a lot earlier, than actual nightfall here in Johannesburg 
or uh, wherever else you may be in the country, I guess, we've got to be careful and we've got to be sure that our candles on Friday night burn later. So perhaps while you are purchasing, while you're making your purchases of Hanukkah stuff for Hanukkah, make sure that for Friday night, um, the Friday night of Hanukkah, that you have longer candles to burn for Friday night. There are some, in fact, boxes of candles where they give you slightly longer, but we need to make sure that they're going to be able to burn for approximately two hours. So it may be better to use just regular candles for that night. Or, of course, if you're using olive oil, that you'll fill it up just a little bit more. We need to make sure that these candles burn bright. And, of course, the idea of the Hanukkah menorah is once again to give us an insight and an ideal to live by with all of these images. The image of crushing the olive and making the olive oil is just one image that we've spoken about already. That confinement, that imprisonment, and that eventual redemption, which is something that the Jewish people went through time and time and time again. And yes, of course, at Hanukkah time particularly, uh, where we think about what happened with the Maccabees and what happened with the overthrow of the Assyrian Greeks and that kind of geula, that kind of redemption that it brought about. But if we think about the image, the idea of light, lighting up the night, lighting up the night sky, the idea of a little bit of light dispelling a lot of darkness, the idea of Pirsumenisa, the idea of publicizing the miracles that we are supposed to be doing on Hanukkah. This is why we light the menorah if we can, that it faces out into the public domain, into the public space, or as you will see, that uh, of course, proudly Chabad goes and puts out can, uh, menorahs all over the city and shopping malls and so on, Pirsume Nisa, to try and spread the idea of the miracle, recognizing that God makes miracles, that miracles are made for those who just invest the time, the effort, and the energy to be able to see them and to understand them and to do our mitzvahs and our Torah and so on. Of course, it all goes hand in hand with all of this. And then, of course, we know that our mitzvahs and our Torah learning is often compared to lights, to the light of a flame of a candle uh, burning bright. Not only does it light up our immediate environment, but it lights up the space around us. It, in, in, it lights up um, and gives light to our entire community, to our whole society, to our country, and to people everywhere, to all humanity. And please, God, it won't be long before we'll see the menorah burning bright once again in the temple in Yerushalayim. I'll be back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, yes, and uh, welcome back. It's great to be with you just to sum up here and think about the ideas that we have conveyed during this edition of Judaism 101.9. Of course, we're thinking about redemption. Of course, we're thinking about the confines, the difficulties, the restrictions, the restraints of an imprisonment, of a... Um, a, a gollus of an exile, uh, which unfortunately we've suffered for so long. And we think about the lights, at, not only at the end of the tunnel, but the lights that come after that confinement, after that difficulty, after that imprisonment. That is what today, the 20th of Kislev, actually speaks about. And of course, it's what the upcoming Chag of Hanukkah actually speaks about. This festival, this great festival of how 
a few were able to triumph over the many, how the difficulties that were thrust upon us by the soldiers of the Assyrian Greeks, how that attempt to stamp out our faith, how the attempt to cut us off from our spirituality, our spiritual connection, the attempt to defile the Beit HaMikdash, the temple, and all the oil that was within it, and then the redemption, the overthrow, the triumph of the few over the many, the triumph of the little bit of oil that lasted for eight days, the triumph of light over darkness. Good has to win. We cannot settle for the fact, God forbid, that the negative wins, that the negative triumphs. That evil prospers and flourishes. We need to do what we can do to make sure in our spiritual lives, in our godly lives, in our Jewish lives, that we are doing all we can, whatever we can, to make sure that we are bringing ourselves and our world one step closer to Mashiach, to the coming of Mashiach. May he arrive speedily in our time and may he ensure that there is only light um, that can be and should be and will be uh, shared everywhere. The light of Torah, the light of mitzvahs, the light of goodness and kindness, that all of those things will take over this otherwise seemingly dark and difficult world. And that once again, we will see that menorah burning bright in the Beit HaMikdash, in its pride of place, in the place where it should be, a light not only to us, but to the nations of the world, that everybody working together will recognize the power of Hashem, not only the Pisume Nisa of this Hanukkah, but the Pisume Nisa of Torah, of Mitzvot, and of God himself. I want to wish you all a great Shabbat up ahead, a great rest of the week, and I look forward to being back with you on Hanukkah next week, same time, same place, on Judaism 101.9.